0: philosophers tell us that we are divine beings in human form. Let's get real here. How can we live a busy life with a job, kids, and a mortgage, and still be spiritual? Join C.J. Lou as she tackles real life issues through a spiritual lens and talks with experts in relationships, work, and more. You'll get practical life skills and learn how to touch, feel, and experience a whole new way of living. Be a force for good and fire it up with cj log on fire it up with cj.com and call cj now 248
1: 545
0: so cbs radios the sky
1: welcome back to fire it up with cj and cbs sky radio we're here every wednesday at 4 p.m eastern time and we do appreciate you listening today we have a great show and we're at, I am at the CBS headquarters in Michigan and CJ is in Seattle and I want to welcome you all to Fired Up with CJ. Before I go to CJ, I want to give you her website. As we all know, it's firedupwithcj.com. If you go to her website, you can see she has archive shows, she has upcoming shows, events and things she has going on. So please, while you're listening to the show today, take a moment and go to her website and see everything she has going on there. I was just on it today, CJ.
2: You were? Yeah. What were you doing?
1: Just looking around, seeing what you <laughs> oh, had going on. And, um, okay. I, you know, it's funny, I forget about past shows sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so I go on different websites and I go on everyone's Facebook and I stalk all, all the hosts on our station and everything <laughs> like that. I always say I'm a cyber stalker and I just want to tell people she has past shows, she has great guests. You know, check out some of the some of the shows and information you had there.
2: Well, I don't know about you, but I'm kinda of feeling a little bit crazed right now about <laughs> the school you're beginning. Are you doing the same thing with your daughter? Oh yes. I am running out the door
1: after your show today to go to um open house to meet all the teachers and she's in high school but this is for the parents so we can go and make sure we have everything for our children and
2: Yes. I have that tomorrow.
1: Yeah, and I have it tonight and my daughter the Virgo, I always call her my Virgo because she's Mom, what time are you leaving? Mom, what time are you leaving? Mom, what time are you leaving? <laughs> and she just got her driver's license this week. So um Whoa Yeah, so we have that going on. But wow. I I'm, I'm like, we will be there. I promise you. I'm never <laughs> late for anything. It's all good. But yeah, the back to school yeah. Hustle and bustle and,
2: and getting everything organized. Yeah, it's, stuff. it's it's pure, utter chaos. And um, I can tell you that our current guest, Richard Moss, his book helped me this morning because I was writing um, the script for this interview, and frankly, it was the only moment of inner stillness and calm <laughs> I've had mm-hmm. probably in the last two or three days. Yeah. So.
1: Well, you have younger, you have younger children. My youngest is in high school. So I've been through that where you have to fill out all the paperwork for all the children. You have mounds of paperwork. Now I just give it to them and say, you do it. I'll sign. You tell me where to sign. That happened
2: yesterday. I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. Here, fill this all out. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I understand that. And I know our guests, I always walk around going, how do I shut it off? Especially at night. How do you shut it off?
2: Yes. And that's exactly what our uh, guest, Richard Moss, is talking about. Inside out healing. It's about how do we actually let's face it, the answers are within ourselves. I know that we constantly look for the answers outside ourselves, but really the truest and the purest answers are within ourselves. And how do we shut off all of it, all the forms that we have to fill out, all the daughters that are asking, sons that are asking for things, driving all over the place? You know, how do we actually keep calm and still? And and in the evening, like yesterday evening around 3, I was up. Thinking about who knows what it was insane, <laughs> insane. But I was thinking about Richard, our current, our current guest, who is a renowned physician turned master healer. And today he's going to share with us a process for us to create our own inner silence. Welcome, Richard. Yay, yeah, thank you. I'm
3: sorry I called in a minute or two late. I'm, I apologize if I made you nervous.
2: <laughs> oh, you didn't. You didn't make me nervous at all. We're just talking. Okay. Sandra and I are just chatting along. So presence. People use it all the time. Some people just think it's the thing you get during Christmas. Um, (laughs) What what is presence? Help us understand what, you know, since you are a master in presence, what is it?
3: Presence is very distinct from being aware as an ego. You know, you and I, if we operate just from our names, I I look out the window. I I hear your voice now. I'm talking on a phone. I look out the window see the trees and the sky and so forth. We're always, in our bodies, we're always, we're always present, but we're not very deeply present. So I would say when we start to use the word like like really presence, we're talking about a level of, of awareness that's deeply embodied. So it, the quality of presence is that the mind sees every perception, or, or where every perception is vivid, and at the same time, the mind is spacious, vast. Now... If I take a medical education like I had, we learn to focus on information. A person working in the stock market is focusing, focusing, focusing. A mother in a kitchen, focusing, focusing, focusing. But they're not present truly because they're not spacious. Spacious means your mind is so vast, it truly has no limit. You're aware of every thought that's coming through your mind and you either select to be part with that, to, to participate with that thought and identify with that thought and become the emotional effect or the uh, uh, the sensation aroused by that thought. Or you observe it's just a thought. So presence, when you're so focused and spacious, every perception is vivid, every sensation is vivid, everything moving through your mind is vivid. And when you're that present, there are very, very few thoughts. And another way to talk about presence is if something, you know, I'm sure our listeners have watched exceptional athletes. Well, they they make it look easy, and yet their bodies are extraordinarily awake and simultaneously relaxed. So when we're truly present, not only is every perception vivid and the mind spacious, but the equivalent of that spacious mind is a body that's completely without any tension. It's so Mm -hmm. relaxed, and yet it's so awake, so completely alert and ready it's sort of like, you know, that image in, in some people will recognize it from karate kid where the little boys the, the student is learning how to catch flies with chopsticks.
2: hmm That ready. You know, yeah, they it's they a that um to, a yoga teacher wants to explain out
3: of the air. And yet when most people are ready like that, they are very tense. Mm. And mm. and therefore very narrowed, very constricted. So truly to be present in a the, in the, in the sense we're going to discuss it and how you practice it, is that the mind can focus, is focused. Every perception the sensation is very distinct, very vivid, but it is not narrowed. It's, it's fast. It's wide open. And the body is very relaxed and ready to catch a fly in that moment in the air. Step out from in front of a car. Grab a child that's dashing away. You miss absolutely nothing. The body moves without thought. Like a martial artist, like a any champion
2: athlete, hmm. so we, and I want to, what brought to mind when you were talking about uh, the 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 yoga, they have this idea of doing and being at the same time, and so with yoga, you're doing a move where you have to be completely focused and your body has to be relaxed and balanced in order to do a lot of the moves, or you can't do the moves at all, and so. Or you for get me, hurt. Yeah, or you get hurt because you, your mind has to be completely monofocus on the task, which is, you know, maybe aligning your body and holding it sideways with your hand off the floor and your leg stuck up in the air. And so it's hard to do that during the day though. And I think that, you know, I think actually what's interesting is I, I don't know if I'm deeply present or deeply embodying it. I think I'm paying attention, but I think paying mm-hmm. attention is different. If when, when I'm hearing your description, of of presence, where you're spacious and vast and open and kind of picking up everything. I mean, how many people well, are... you know,
3: when Eckhart Tolle used the expression, the power of now,
2: mm-hmm. I
3: mean, the oldest teaching in the world, but he he hit a note. The trouble is the word now is just a complete abstraction. What's the power of now? The power of now is that using your expression, you're you're paying attention. That's an aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But if you're paying attention because you're anxious about what's going to happen, that's not really presence. That's contraction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so can you pay attention in such a way that you miss almost nothing mm-hmm. or, rather than paying attention for something? Because paying attention can just be focusing. Um, and focusing is only half the story. There is no such thing as the now. It's a completely abstract concept. What you experience. Right now depends on whether your body's ready and relaxed. If it's ready and, and tense, then you're nervous, easily made irritable. Your nervous system gets easily provoked by loud noises or a, the tone of voice of your partner or the way a child talks to you or how the boss throws you an assignment because you are, you know, ready, but you aren't relaxed. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with the mind. If we use the same, the body and the mind are not separate, but it, we use different language to talk about them. When every perception is completely vivid, and your peripheral envision, vision is just as engaged as as, as your your macula as, as a thing that's right in front of you that you're looking at, um, and you know that, that the part of a person that's listening to our voices right now is very hard to find. Okay, yeah. I, I ask the audience, find the part of you that's hearing our voices. If if I'm in a room and I ask that question, sometimes people's eyes go up because they're thinking. Sometimes, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, a stillness falls over the room. Almost always a stillness falls over the room. Mm-hmm. Because the question isn't a question you can answer with a thought. The mm-hmm. question actually changes the quality of your attention. Mm-hmm. So when I say to, I say to our audience, find the part of you that's hearing our voices. In that split second, you become aware in a different way.
2: Yeah, I, I definitely, when I did that, I felt the silence within me. Here's the thing that I find tricky. There's kind of this spaciness that I that I think is also, because it's the tension between the two, because I can get super relaxed and get kind of spacey, where I'm not thinking about anything. Someone will say something to me I'm hearing, but I'm so relaxed that, it's a balance between these two things. Because I, 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 when I think of the place that you're talking about where I'm so relaxed, like after a massage, let's say, that's when my body is the most relaxed, I wouldn't describe myself as focused either. And It seems like you're yeah. asking to be in an in-between place between those two things.
3: Well, what we're trying to do in our conversation right now is educate ourselves mm-hmm. and educate our listeners so, yes, Everybody knows what it's like to work a long day mm-hmm. and have been focused all day and being emotionally uh, ch- I mean, aroused all day long by various things. Someone else's behavior doesn't emotionally re- arouse us. Our judgment of their behavior is what emotionally arouses us. Mm-hmm. So we judge constantly ourselves and other people mm-hmm. and every, and, and the situation and the job I was just doing a one-on-one for the woman from Europe. And it was mostly about her story that, about her career. Mm-hmm. Um, and she goes to work and makes herself exhausted because she thinks it's not a job that's really using her skills. And because she thinks that, she exhausts herself. Mm-hmm. So, so what most people haven't developed at the end of a busy day like that is that when they go into relaxation, they do exactly what you said. They get spacey. Mm-hmm. They have to lose themselves in the, the, the TV series. I love TV mm-hmm. series. You no, know, um, <laughs> you well, know, certain TV series. The TV's gotten, you know, the shows have gotten just so sophisticated, so interesting, so well written and directed. I completely and agree. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a whole different universe than, than when wow. I was watching TV in the in the fifties and sixties. Yeah,
2: yeah, um, I hear you. But when you said, so yeah. people relax, like they think of uh, this kind of, okay, I'm present because I'm all relaxed and I'm spacing out watching TV. But that's not really being present either. But it not, is that it's relaxed. It's not at
3: all. It, it's not yeah. at all. So. Give, I'll give you an example of extraordinary presence. The man, his name is Ueshiba, he's dead now quite a long time, that founded Aikido.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: When, in, the, when, in the final stages of, of when he would accept you as a student and in the final stages of his life, he was an old man, and like all, all old men, our prostate glands get bigger and our ability to hold urine gets smaller, and so we get up in the night to pee, sometimes a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Ueshiba would get up, In the night to urinate walk very quietly in his slippers through the dormitory room where the students slept to the bathroom. And if every one of those students at any time of the dead of night, didn't sit up instantly in bed as he walked through, they went home. (laughs) Okay. So that's now Ueshiba even in his seventies could throw men six and seven at a time, half his age, who had been studying Martial Arts for, at that point, 10 and 15 years. He could throw them around like they were toys, because not anything he ever did with a movement came from a thought. And he didn't use energy in the normal sense, his physical energy. His body and his being and the environment and his opponents were all one singular state of consciousness. So that's the mind in spaciousness and the body in profound relaxation. And he was trying to teach that to his students. So you have to be able to go to sleep at night and get the nourishing rest you need at the same time be aware enough of your external environment um special forces soldiers that that work in extraordinary situations they are trained to do this they don't necessarily get to the same depth that Ueshiba did in his and his very few close close disciples in terms of this depth i certainly don't have this depth. though i will tend to awaken in the night very easily if there's something that's not appropriate. Mm. But the ability to be totally mm. relaxed at the end of the day depends on how all day long you let go of the arousal mm. created by thoughts that make you angry or resentful or hurt or bitter or anxious about the future or judgmental of someone else or sad about the past, regretful about the past guilty about the past, and on and on and on, we are stimulating ourselves with thought. And mm. at the same time, when natural and normal feelings come up inside of us, we're so far away from our bodies, we don't even recognize them.
2: And actually, we're going to have to close on that fantastic Now We will be right back after the break, and we'll continue our conversation on presence
0: cbs radios the sky the sky now back to fire it up with cj be a force for good and fire it up with cj log on fire it up with cj.com and call cj now 248-545-7685 on cbs radios the sky sky
1: Welcome back to Fired Up with CJ on CBS Sky Radio. Our guest today is author Richard Moss, sharing his work and newest book, Inside Out Healing. I'm Cassandra, and I'm here with you on CBS Sky Radio. Our website is www.newskyradio.com, and CJ's website is firedupwithcj.com. And now we're going to go right back to CJ and our guest, Richard Moss.
2: Hey, welcome back to Fired Up with CJ and I'm CJ Liu and uh, we've been talking about presence and um, I'm going to slightly switch topic but presence is still the focus area is that a, that, that's a logical statement presence is still the focus area <laughs> so there's a Buddhist quote that said that says pain is inevitable suffering is optional and I was um, sharing with Richard during the break that uh, I took a beach run because I really really wanted to get exercise and uh, it was about a 20-minute run that started with a deluge of water, <laughs> and all my clothes were getting sopping wet. And then it started. Then it merged, morphed into pinpricks of, of sand mixed with uh, rain that felt like they were, I was just getting acupuncture all over my body. And I thought, well, let's practice what Richard says <laughs> about pain. <laughs> I'm, I'm in pain right now because I, I could go into, I better go home because it's raining and maybe I'll get sick and all my clothes are sopping wet and I got sand all over me. This is ridiculous. Why am I even running? But then I thought, no, let's not judge this whole experience. Let's just run and just not judge the pain. Not, you know, I feel the pain, but I'm not going to go into it. I'm not going to give it a story or add any energy to it. I'm just going to Run, And when I did, I experienced the most magical moments because I saw the expansiveness of the beach. I saw these beautiful, exquisite patterns in the sand and the waves that I would never have seen if it weren't storming. And I think that that honestly is a benefit of presence, right? You, you see and experience the world in this magical way that you would never experience if you weren't in that deep embodied state.
3: Am yes, I right, either. Richard? Just, what is it like for you? <laughs> it's exactly like that for me. And and you, know, you described what I said, every perception is vivid. Yeah. That, you, know, I, that's, you did it very much more poetically and, and, and with more sensual detail, the rain, the patterns on the water. But that's exactly what it means. And you reached it simply because you let go of the thinking mind as a filter between you and your experience and the judging ego. Uh, and which is not our friend, it wants to make us special. So you would have been special victim if you decided to turn back, and instead you just dropped it and, and became someone just being.
0: Mm-hmm. And the
3: nature of the mind in that state, which we can call presence, is that they are wide open. They, 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 you know, whatever, the word spacious is the best one I've been able to find. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, everything you're experiencing is so precise, so vivid, so alive. Mm-hmm. and And you feel so alive. Mm-hmm. And, and now if you take the exact same situation let's say you were me four months and a half ago where in a matter of days i went from being able to run a half marathon or ride my bike 50 miles or walk in the mountains and no. or, or even a mountaineer and i'm 66 and suddenly something went out I, I well it wasn't sudden i carried extraordinarily heavy bags on the paris metro and bam out went my back and that triggered my hip, and I couldn't walk. And mm-hmm. I was in continuous pain, and I was in pain in most positions. And instantly I became a person who had to come home from Europe in a wheelchair on the air, through the airports. Mm-hmm. I've been in wheelchairs in every flight since then. I have not had a single minute of working in my garden, let alone walking in the mountains. I haven't walked longer than 400 paces in four months. Um, and I've never been happier, fuller, clearer in any stage of my life than I am right now and have been, and my, you know, life partner could tell you the exact same thing. I'm a little bit more work, as she admits, but but very pleasant to work with or work for. Um, (laughs) Okay, that's
2: shocking. So so (laughs) the
3: point is... If I, if I put myself in the past and remembered the man I described to you who was athletic and so forth, I could easily say, oh, my life is no good, not as good now. In fact, what I learned is I'm not dependent on exercise to feel good, and many, 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 many people use exercise as a drug, not as a form of celebration. They, mm-hmm. they don't even want to be doing it, so they put headphones on or they're on a treadmill watching a TV. Um, they don't actually want to be where they are. Um, and I want to be right where I am, and I want to be right where I am without a story, and I've been practicing it for decades. It's my life. It's my path. It's what I teach. And so this change in my body and health had absolutely no effect on my heart. And, and it didn't diminish the vividness of colors or sensation, although quite a bit of sensation at times isn't pleasant. Um, and I have I, I work with people who are ill, and it's not their illness that we ever work with. It's what they tell themselves about their illness, how they're disappointing their families, or how they're letting down someone, or how their life will never be as good again. And every one of those thoughts is suffering. That's why suffering is optional. Mm -hmm. Because if you think it, and you're awake, and you hear that thought, and you feel instantly the drop in your energy, the contraction, the, the closing down inside of you, the sense of being smaller, that those kinds of thoughts create, you just stop. So while pain is what it is, suffering is optional because we create it by believing the stories we tell ourselves or we create it by running away from feelings that every human being has to learn to make a great big home for. And those are every kind of threatening feeling. So let's say it's fear in every form, every disguise, every shape it takes until you stop living your life to be safe. And instead start living your life to make a big home for fear, you'll never be safe. No amount of money, no amount of possessions, not the right woman, not the right man, not the not the best
2: children, not the best
3: school, nothing mm-hmm. makes a human being safe when they're running away from fear. Yes.
2: Yeah. I I have so many questions. I don't even know where to begin. But I'm gonna um, I'm gonna zoom back to um, what you're saying is that when you have these debilitating thoughts of you know I'm I'm disappointing my family, I'm not as good as I used to be, and you start closing down. It sounds like it's emotional suffering that then literally creates a physiological response, and then creates more pain, right? And so that's the. I mean, it seemed from reading your book that people are. The emotional pain creates more physical pain in the end. So, all the stories that we tell ourselves create physical pain too, right?
3: Well, yes, but you know, I've traveled the world. I've taught in 17 countries. The greatest suffering isn't physical. The greatest suffering isn't the disease, it, it isn't old age. It's the stories people tell themselves. And the area, the most, the deepest area of suffering, it doesn't matter if you're in the Middle East or in Europe or in South America, Asia, United, North America. It's all around relationships. Wow. 95% of all emotional suffering is relationship-related. I'm picking the number out of my hat because that's, you know, <laughs> I, it's it's not, that's not that as someone's quantified. I, that's that's my subjective observation yeah. of working with thousands and thousands and thousands of people in 17 different countries. Mm. Relationship.
2: relationship. Relationship with a
3: boss, with a coworker, with children, husband, spouse, even, and of course with ourselves. That right. is the greatest source of suffering.
2: Well, and so so go, linking that to the thing that you said, we, we can never run away from our fear. What are the typical fears that people are expressing to you about relationships? And, how, and if we don't run away, what do we do?
3: The, the typical fear is that I'm not loved, I'm not lovable, I'll be abandoned, I'll mm-hmm. be alone all my life, especially for women. To reach a certain age, some women all over the planet are getting empowered, and they're choosing not to stay in destructive relationships. That is emotionally, you know, non-alive relationships. No one should stay in an abusive relationship. But these women are, are choosing not to stay in dead relationships. And yet they leave and find it's not so easy to find a companion. And, and that longing for companionship or the suffering when you're in a relationship and the other person isn't there. Mm-hmm. doesn't listen and doesn't respond that's just so this the, the feeling the sensation is a, a feeling of abandonment or emptiness or alonement or worthlessness or unlovableness and it's all fear
1: mm-hmm. it's just
3: a, it's all one sensation fear fear has a thousand names fear of heights fear of aloneness fear of abandonment there's thousands of names and some of them You know, Mm -hmm. really interesting names like claustrophobia or agoraphobia, you know, great words. But it's only one sensation at different scales of intensity. And what you have to learn is that there is no way to escape that sensation except to make a bigger space to hold it. Mm -hmm. Like a tempest in a teapot. You've got to dance with it. We'll talk about it
2: more. All right, so bigger space to dance with and be with your fear. So in our next segment, we're going to, let's take the one about relationships and, you know, what do you do if you're not in a loving relationship and how we can actually use some of the tools. You have a, um, a Mandela that you use um, and a, a great structure for kind of helping people through that. So next up, we'll be doing a checkup on your mind, the doctors in the house. We'll
0: be right back. CBS Radio's The Sky. The Sky. Now back to Fire It Up with CJ. Be a force for good. And Fire It Up with CJ. Log on, FiredUpWithCJ.com. And call CJ now. 248 545 7685. On CBS Radio's The Sky. Sky.
1: Welcome back to CBS Sky Radio. Today, I'm fired up with CJ. We have author Richard Moss, and his book is Inside Out Healing. You can find him at richardmoss.com. I'm Cassandra from CBS Sky Radio. We're going to go right back
2: to CJ. Hey, welcome back, everybody. So uh, in the first segment, um Cassandra, you were sharing how your mind is just, you know. Yeah, mine too like the beginning of the school year. And all of us have those times where... We are thinking about a thousand things at one moment and uh, not necessarily in in a present, deeply present, deeply embodied way, but in a frenetic Internet kind of way. And uh, in the previous segment, Richard was saying 95% of the, his empirical study on people that he's talked to, 95% of the time it's relationship issues or people's relationship with themselves, relationship with others, um, it's about relationships and so what I thought would be interesting is to take his model that he has in his book called Inside Out Healing and it's called the Mandela of Being or the Four Places of Mind where the mind goes when attention leaves now. And so I looked at this model in his book. And um, it says when you're not in the now, you're basically either going into the future and planning out your future, my favorite. You're looking into your past and being nostalgic and thinking about the past or your thoughts are thinking about you um, and uh, other people like the people who are uh, hurting me, irritating me or causing me pain. <laughs> or you're thinking about you and how you're inadequate, shameful, guilty or whatever. So I looked at this model where it basically is a simple model, you either think about these four things, the future, the past, uh, you or someone else, others, uh, that are affecting you. <laughs> and I looked at I tried to break this model and uh I couldn't because every one of my thoughts fell into these four categories. And I thought to myself, now why wasn't I able to come up with this model? <laughs> you know, it's so simple. But in its simplicity, it was brilliant. So, Richard, tell us about you know, tell us about how we would, tell us a little bit more about this model. I mean, how it is just so brilliant. It's so simple. It's brilliant, um, and how someone would use it. You know, the people that you've used this with, with, your relationships. How do you use these four different places in helping someone get back to the now?
3: Okay. Well, in relationships, of course, um, we're telling ourselves stories about our partners or we're telling ourselves stories about the relationship itself.
1: Mm
3: -hmm. We have beliefs uh, about how the relationship should be and those beliefs are are not necessarily conscious but they're there. And every time we end up in conflict with someone, we end up being in conflict because we're reacting to what they say to us, uh, which comes from the stories they tell themselves that they're not conscious of and those stories are judgments, maybe they're judgments of their partner. And, and maybe their judgments of themselves. And as you said, maybe they're, maybe they're going back into the past and remembering how good the love was when we first fell in love. And why isn't it that way now? Or because the question isn't what, is never helpful uh, until you ask the right question. we we'll maybe talk about that another time. But, but uh, when you say, why isn't it helpful? You really, why isn't it like that now? You're really saying, it isn't like that now. It's the righteous brothers. We've lost that loving feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, the work, this work says, there is only the present moment. There is only now. My work says that. The center of the mandala, mandala is a word in Sanskrit that means circle. In the east, they are forms of art that represent the journey of consciousness. Usually they'll have a Buddha or some, you know, a- awakened or peaceful figure at the center. And um and then there's always four basic directions and then there are more complicated mandalas. Nature is full of mandalas like a sunflower or a mm-hmm. daisy. Um, something that's strongly oriented toward the center and yet pulls you toward the periphery. Mm-hmm. Well, what pulls us to the periphery of life are the judgments and beliefs about ourselves, like you mentioned. The mm-hmm. judgments and beliefs we hold about other people, about money, about God, about religions and other political persuasions, and anything else that's other. You know, the way mm-hmm. a lumber a lumberer thinks about trees is very different mm-hmm. than the way a, uh, an environmentalist thinks about trees. Mm -hmm. and then we're constantly either going into the past and by telling ourselves or, or inviting the same images from the past and interpreting them the same way right now we create in the present moment the same emotional dynamic of the past which could be guilt or regret or sorrow or anger so we have a positive reminiscence that makes us look back at the past and wish it was as good now or a negative reminiscence that makes us look back at the past and in the present moment to make us unhappy, scared, you we'll know, just, and our fear would be that we'll repeat it. So we go into the future and we're afraid not to repeat the past and we're hoping to have a better future. But the hoping is all built on something that has to happen as opposed to what is happening. So hope mm-hmm. is a kind of lie that everybody wants and needs and a lot of psychological, you know, effort is put into teaching people to be hopeful. Whereas a person who's really in the present doesn't need hope at all. Not, a, not a, an iota of hope.
2: Well, because they're accepting what is; they're not trying exactly. to in have everything they are at be one better. One with works. what is,
3: so they don't have to hope, and they're not mm. going to be telling themselves a story about the future that's scaring the heck out of them. So, mm. in, a, in a relationship, what I what I will do with people is get both individuals to start looking. My work with, with couples is almost my most passionate place, and I would <laughs> do that with my my life partner, Annalisa. But mm-hmm. but nobody can do the work just in the couple they have to do the work in themselves too and so that work is the same work everywhere it's you wake imagine you're you're in a harry potter world mm-hmm. you've got this mandala like a compass mm-hmm. on you um the north pole is future stories the south pole is past stories the the west pole is is uh stories about yourself and the east pole is uh, the east direction is Is all the stories and judgments about other people
2: Mm -hmm. and you put
3: this little thing on it on a chain and you wear it around your neck your little harry potter mandala of being richard moss mandala of being compass and every time your thinking pulls you away from your body and the present moment the center of the mandala the now and pulls you so far away that you lose connection with what we talked about earlier the vividness of perception the spaciousness of mind, being really in your body, very awake but relaxed. So the thinking pulls you away and the the Harry Potter compass goes, wake up, wake up. You're making a judgment of yourself and it's creating depressive tendency in you. Oh, wake up, wake up. Now you're talking about yourself making judgments and now it's making you superior and grandiose. Or, oh, now you're too far in the future and you're scaring yourself silly about money. Come back, start now. Come back, start now. So the compass wakes you up see nobody can I learned this long ago you cannot teach a person how to be present I work in deep retreats I work in nine-day retreats ten-day retreats four-day gatherings occasionally short things like weekends but the main effort is always to get a person to experience who they are in the present moment in their bodies without a thought to feel that alive and almost Mm -hmm. always what happens is there's forgiveness spontaneously happens compassion spontaneously spontaneously happens Love spontaneously happens, but they're constantly pulled back out to the periphery and get Mm -hmm. lost again and again in the me stories, the you stories, the past stories, the future stories, and they do that in their couple. They do that Mm -hmm. in their relationship. They do that with their children. You know what's the biggest child story parents tell about their children? Almost every story a parent has, every judgment of the the child that they're not getting a job, whether they're with the wrong crowd or they don't do their homework and they're not studying, it's all because the parent wants to feel safe. It's not Mm. about the child at all. Mm -hmm. When when an adult wakes up to their narcissistic, selfish desire for their child to succeed so they will feel safe, that's not love of your child. That's not attention to your child. That's not even knowing your child, and your child knows it. So they don't listen to you. Mm. They can't trust you because deep down in the energy of the relationship, they know you may love them, but they know that what you're telling them isn't about love of them,
1: mm-hmm. of mm-hmm.
3: making you, mommy, or you, daddy, safe. Right. All they have it's to do is you, you,
1: You're, you're, you're focusing
2: your about their future and, and going into all sorts of fear scenarios, and they kind of sense it on some level. And it's, and it's the opposite of that center place in, in that mandala. The center is the nowness. And when you are in that place, it is where you experience compassion and forgiveness and love of yourself, of your children, of other people. I think that that's probably why I think going into that central place is so important. It's because it's that's where all the good stuff is. <laughs> well, that's where, when, as soon as a
3: parent sees what those stories about their children are doing to them and feels what they're doing to them in their own bodies and doing to the relational connection, the relational linkage with their own children, and they step back into the now and drop the story, suddenly they experience immediately. A new relational linkage with their children and a, a much healthier state of, of mind and body in themselves and when they go home having done that work suddenly the kids feel it and the and because the relational quality is what happened when you lose, when you're in the me you past and future stories you're actually not in relationship to yourself so you're not in relationship to anyone else so you're either in agreement or conflict and mostly you're into socializing without anything of any true significance being shared, because if we start to get to something of true significance, we have to go through fear, which means we have to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And we don't yet know how to do that. Most people, most people their busyness, their talking, their work, their're doing, their possessions are all ways of defending themselves against vulnerability. And vulnerability is the healthy relationship to fear. Mm-hmm. You don't follow fear. You're not obedient to fear, but you're vulnerable.
2: Mm-hmm. You can't control mm-hmm. the future. No one ever could. Mm-hmm. There's no way to be safe. Yeah. Except, Except, so you're saying exactly. it's holding the bigger space to and contain the fear. Exactly. Yeah. Well,
3: I hope people will read the book and listen you know, and internalize that model the way you did because I've watched it change lives, thousands and thousands of lives. Not only that, once you start down this path and you practice it for 10 years, your, your life is utterly changed. It's actually changed within four months or two months, but it's utterly, you're unrecognizable to yourself in a few years.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, That's absolutely. Right.
3: You don't even know that a human being can be
2: what you've turned into. Okay, but that is the biggest promise ever. I can't wait to <laughs> try. Talk to me in four months and see what happens. Okay, so we have author of Inside Out, Richard Moss. We will be right back, and we're going to be talking more about the ego. We'll be right back
0: cbs radios the sky the sky now back to fire it up with cj be a force for good and fire it up with cj log on fire it up with cj.com and call cj now 248-545-7685
1: on
0: cbs radios the sky sky
1: Welcome back to CBS Sky Radio. This is Fired Up with CJ. Today's guest is author of Inside Out Healing, Richard Moss, here on CBS Sky Radio. I'm Cassandra, and I'm going to welcome back CJ and Richard Moss.
2: Hey, welcome back, everybody. You know what, Cassandra, I feel a calming presence affecting both of us, and I think that calming presence is Richard Moss. <laughs> well,
1: yes, he has a wonderful, calming voice, and I'm really interested in his book to see if he can calm you and I both down because I'm sure right now in both of our heads we, we will both admit we're four hours ahead thinking yeah, what do we have to do here, I'm, I'm here, in here, that here. Future, and here.
2: Oh, yeah. I'm in that future Mandela. That, like, I'm on that quadrant. Yes. So I went to a silent retreat, and basically what I found is like, I'm thinking about the future probably 80% of the time. Planning, planning, yes. planning, future. You have
1: to learn how to slow it down and calm your mind. But it's so interesting because your voice is slowed down and
2: mine has to. Pretty soon I'll be asleep. By the end of the interview, I'll be asleep.
1: Oh, <laughs> <not> <laughs> what asleep.
2: have you done to me? Okay, so here's What
3: well, um, we're talking about, you asked what presence is. It it does travel. It does transmit through yeah. the voice. Yeah. Um, the groundedness in the body, that, that the thoughts... That I share come from my lived experience and have grounded in my body uh, that you know what you're commenting on not not to not not to say anything special about me but that is a fact yeah Uh, I I, I gave a program in Bogota Colombia at um, major university and I gave a talk in 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 Bogota and the man who was the organizer and also did the interpreting English to Spanish, Spanish to English, said, and he's a rock musician there, a very well-known rock musician in Colombia. And he, so there's this, this uh, you know, 66-year-old uh, North American white man with gray silver hair sitting next to a 32-year-old guy with dreads, black beard, black stubble beard, dreads down to his waist, right? And he's interpreting me. At the end, he said, you know, one of his dearest friends, who is the most agitated, can't sit still, legs jumping, arms jumping person, was in the audience. And he said, I watched him, and he didn't move for the whole hour and a half. Wow. Didn't move. And that's yeah. what happens in the room, usually. The people, tears, I see tears a lot just flow, because yeah. I think they're tears of recognition. People yeah. see things that they know are true and hear and feel it. But it does come through the voice. And so that's a really good way for you to know how deeply embodied a person is. Mm -hmm. And boy, to be in this kind of voice when you're dealing, let's say, in your couple with very difficult stuff, means that you've put your ears in your heart, your listening is in your heart, and you've made your heart bigger than the room the two of you are in, maybe bigger than the house, maybe bigger than the city. You visualize that heart so enormous until there's room for your partner to be so true so real and then you can talk you can mm-hmm. listen and um, mm-hmm. boy it, it becomes such profound intimacy mm. you know when, when we can do that with each other mm-hmm. it, 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 at, at the time sometimes very difficult stuff gets spoken about but the relationship thrives you know you mm-hmm. feel the energy that is that third presence that is the relationship the next thing that people know that the next the whole rest of the day the next day they, they just like being near each other because mm. they learn to listen, and so mm. that's part of my work is teaching people how to listen and how to listen with a big heart and and it
2: comes through the voice yeah and it's a it's a cyclical thing because I'm sure when you see their heart opening and their presence being felt that it then affects you too, right, because much like your voice is affecting them in a calming presence their joy and expression and love for each other is then coming back to you. Sure. I don't know. That's nice. what I would guess would happen. Well, if it's a talk
3: and I see someone, you know, five rows back or eight rows back just sitting, you know, without any... I, you, you could project into someone's non, um, non-expression non a lot, and, and I've learned to not do that, but if I see someone who's really looking and Who's, there's tears in their eyes that's positive reinforcement but i'll tell you learning in a deep intimate relationship to let when i'm with annalise and she's telling me something really hard i immediately feel the part of me that wants to defend or rationalize or go into my head and i instead i just go deeper into my body and and literally visualize my heart getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger because i do not want to miss the single thing she wants to teach me or penetrate me with um, mm-hmm. and I think that's something men are not yet not yet really ready for I mean we're totally ready for it, but haven't learned it yet to let their woman penetrate them mm-hmm. um, and when we do then the relationship thrives.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> How long have you been in a relationship and how, I mean, you said earlier that you couldn't even believe that you've been in this relationship and how have you seen it evolved as you've been able to open up more and more and allow um, her into your space? We actually haven't been living
3: together that long, a few years. We've worked together for 12 years and we've well, been friends for 27 years, acquaintances, um, friends for 27 years. Oh wow! But she she's walked the same in her own way uh, this path that I walk, and and she's walked many other paths, and and then you know as we started working together, we, and then started teaching together, um, eventually we became partners.
2: Yeah, and beautiful. So many beautiful so, stories. But, but
3: yesterday we were doing one of these conversations I'm describing where I had to let my heart get really big, mm-hmm. um, and. <laughs> You know, we, we do, we set aside time for special conversations, but in, at any moment I'm always listening because, because I, I want us to invent in a certain sense through how we are present with each other the deepest intimacy we, we can possibly experience. And, <laughs> you know, it's broader than the word intimacy, broader than just sexual, I mean.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Intellectual,
2: I, I'm just imagining sexual. telling my husband, like, hold on, I'm really Pissed off at you right now, and I need to see if I can expand my heart, <laughs> and then we will talk. We will talk afterwards. <laughs> Hold on. Well, actually, it's <laughs> his job to expand
3: his heart. It's your I job know. Not to attack him. It's yeah, your job I know. To find a way to tell him what you really want him to know, that doesn't come just from attack, and it's his job to make a really big space and let it in and let him feel you, really feel you. Get really where you're coming from, why it's so important to you. Um, and then digest that because he's felt it, because it's living in his body before he opens his mouth. Yeah. And that's, you know, and it goes both ways. That's how it should be, that's how it can be between people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, teaching people vulnerability in a relationship, Annalise and I were. We were on Skype yesterday with a couple in France doing exactly what I'm describing to you. They, we were guiding them we were listening we were listening as their relationship, as they talked to each other in, a, in this very specific mm-hmm. way. and as the relationship from time to time we would comment on how they had listened to each other or how they had married each other, and we'd tell them when the relationship felt wonderful. Mm, that's and of course, sweet. by the end by the end they felt wonderful. Yeah. the relationship felt wonderful and we were only three5,000 miles away.
2: that's fantastic thank you so much Um, what a fantastic book Inside Out Healing Transforming Your Life Through the Power of Presence Um, I have to tell you I've tried a bunch of the tools um, in the book they really work and it is a very special book Um, so thank you for writing the book thank you for being here I'd love to have you on again Um, and I I hope your healing process uh, with your back and everything uh, is fast and quick although I know you're yeah. in your happiest moments I, at this point. <laughs> I, tru- I trust it.
3: The, the worst that can happen is I'll have a hip replacement or they'll do some sort of back surgery, and yeah. then I'll do what I can do. I'll, my life may have changed in some ways, but the present never changes.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, many blessings to you. Thank you for being on the show. Um, folks, make Thank sure to are doing it in September when we'll be talking about back to school. And thanks and if again. if
3: people want help learning this, they should go to my YouTube channel because there's lots of short instructional oh, okay. videos.
2: Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Okay. And there's a so,
3: free, There's also on the website a free e-course that tens of thousands of people have used to learn to do the mandala for themselves.
2: Oh, perfect. Okay, so it's richardmoss.com. Correct. All right. Thank you again. Thanks so much.
3: Okay, thank you. Okay. It's been a pleasure and a
2: privilege.